Prayers That Changed the World, Nehemiah chapters 1 verse 4 to 11, by Paul Bucknell, part of a series on Restore Us, O God, from the book of Nehemiah. First given in Oakland International Fellowship, produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net, releasing God's truth to a new generation. Nehemiah is such a wonderful book, and the overall theme is to restore us, O God, for God, the Creator, to be able to work in our life a new work, a special work, not just for our own lives, but for those around us. And this is the way God does that, is being revealed through the book of Nehemiah. Today's topic is prayers that change the world. Prayers that change the world from Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 4 to 11. I'd just like to look at some verses that struck me in the book of Isaiah. From Isaiah 30, verses 18 to 19, he says, Therefore the Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him. O people in Zion, inhabitant in Jerusalem, you will weep no longer. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. When he hears it, he will answer you. Just quickly presented here is what we'll be talking about today. For us to understand that God is just longing to hear from us. And at the sound of our cry, when he hears it, he'll do it. In one sense, just stop right here and just begin to think. What kind of God would ever want to listen to us that much? Of course, God has his will, and you'd say his will would be the best. So why is he wanting to listen to us, <laughs> who half our words perhaps are not even anything uh, having to do with his will? And our thoughts are more on what's showing tonight or tomorrow rather than on what he wants to accomplish. But this is the Lord who is willing and longing to be gracious to us, he is waiting on high for us to bring our prayer, our desires, our wants to him to answer them. I think it's just amazing, amazing, wonderful thing that we can have. Prayers that change the world. Can you think of anything right now that you would like to have changed? Keep that in mind as we go through that. Maybe that is the prayer that will change the world. No, I don't mean the... The whole world, everything's going to change because of our prayer. But the point is, the people around us, me, our city, our nation, maybe our world. But what is it that God wants to do through your life, in this life, that he made you specifically for to accomplish? Those are the things he wants you to cry out for and to have them done. And nothing in earth or heaven's going to stop it. But have you... Focus on what he wants to do through your life because it will align with what your cry will be, what that passion is on your heart. What God did to Nehemiah, if you can remember, all of a sudden his eyes opened up and he said, wow, God wants to do this. And we'll look more at that. Now today as we go on in this theme, Nehemiah, restore us, O oh God. We want to remember God implants the most powerful weapon in our hands. Now, we might think of our resources, our position, our connections, our knowledge, our intellect, our software capabilities, whatever it might be that we think we have. 
I want you to think of all those as secondary. I'm not saying that they're unnecessary or unimportant. But the most foundational, important thing for all of this is the base is our prayer, our ability to pray to God and his willingness to respond. Now, if we took a regular survey of all the prayers that go on, say, today, I would suppose that many prayers are not even praying to God. And many of them are not praying in Jesus' name. They can pray in many names, but they're not praying in Jesus' name. Or they're just seeking something for themselves. Or perhaps they're casual prayers. It doesn't really matter to them. Oh, I'll just say it because someone said I should pray for this. I'll pray for it. Well, it doesn't really matter to them. Or they hope their prayer works somehow. But that kind of attitude betrays that they don't really believe it will happen. They don't have faith. You know, if we took all the prayers and added them all up, how many would really be those prayers that change the world? So what I really want to focus on during our time together is what kind of prayers do we need to bring before God so that God will accomplish his glorious purpose through our lives. Now remember, everyone's prayer is important. Every one of his children, he makes it so that every one of us can ask, and he says, I will hear. Now, I'm not just talking about, oh, the select one or two that will be famous in the ages ahead. No, that doesn't matter. I'm challenging all of you, including myself, every one of us, old or young, our prayers are important to them. So let's go on. What kind of prayers? Because we grieve, we mournfully pray. Because we hope, we worshipfully ask. Number three, because we sinned, we humbly confess, verses 6 and 7. And in verses 8 to 11, because we believe, we persistently intercede. I would suggest that these are the four kinds of prayer that God used, definitely for Nehemiah, that he will most often use to make those world-impacting type of prayers. Let's pray. Lord, each one of us here, each of your children, are so important. And you have made us, Lord, that whatever we ask in the name of Jesus that you will hear. It's because, Lord, you want to hear from us. You're longing to hear from us. You are waiting for to hear from us. And Lord, sometimes we don't have that confidence. We don't believe you can use us. We don't know how you want to use us. But Lord, I ask that you would teach us all, Lord, that now is the time. Now is the time. Please help us. Please teach us through the word, through working through Nehemiah. In Jesus we pray, amen. Now there's different reasons God had the book of Nehemiah written down and communicated to us. Of course, it's to understand God's way of doing the impossible to accomplish his redemptive purposes, bringing all the Israelites back and to protecting them. But let me just say, this emphasis on prayer is so strategic and so important in the book of Nehemiah. This prayer that we're looking at today in verse uh, 4 to 11 will be the first of seven, at least seven prayers that Nehemiah says, remember, okay? So it's something that 
we see this theme, this thrust of prayer to be significant in Nehemiah's perspective of what actually happened in the days ahead when we look ahead. Uh, we'll see those things. But at first, he's saying, I want you to get the message. It's not because of my position. It's not because of who I was. It's not because it was the time. It was more than that. Yes, God was trying to accomplish things, but don't you understand God wants to accomplish things now? The point of what we looked at that verse in Isaiah and what we find in Nehemiah, we'll talk about a little bit more, is God is waiting for us. In other words, he already wants things to happen, but he's waiting for our prayers. So that's that point where there's a sovereign God, and we don't have too much time to get into that, but he, inter, he works through our prayers. He is so one with the church that he has committed himself to work through our prayers. So he's waiting for time to change, our hearts to change, the situation to change in such a way that we would cry out to him. We don't need to wait any longer. We just need to focus on what God wants. And that will be like a door that's thrust open. And then these things that we'll learn today about prayer will make complete sense. Number one, because we grieve, we mournfully pray. This is from verse 4. He said, now it came about when I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Verse 4. Now this is Nehemiah saying, I'm not, I don't remember how many of actually were here last week, but Nehemiah heard this report, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came upon him, and he probably heard this before. I mean, wasn't he right next to the emperor of the world every day and probably every night, testing his wine, you know, talking to him. What do you think about that, Nehemiah? And then going back and forth, hearing all the embassies, sending their, deploying their ambassadors, going up to the emperor. He heard about reports all the time. But something about this, God just began to grip his heart. Now, we want to be very sensitive to those things that begin to grip our hearts, okay? Now, sometimes it's like this. Well, why isn't everybody else paying attention to what we just heard? But you are. You say, you know, this is, this is something important. But you're wondering, well, what about those people? Don't be concerned whether God is touching everybody the same way. First of all, pay attention to how God is working in your own life. If all of a sudden you open up to a passage and you start weeping, it's okay. Don't fight it. If all of a sudden you see some people over there and you start saying, well, God, what's happening to them? They're just partying, but they don't know Jesus. Don't just dismiss it. This is the time that God wants to use your prayers. When God signals to your heart there's something and he awakens you, respond. Just because everyone else is not paying attention, he's saying, you know, Susan, John, well, whoever, whatever your name is, wake up. I'm trying to speak to you. I'm trying to speak to you. And this is what we find that happened when he heard these words. This is why mission conferences are so important. This is, this is why we have revivals. Or this is why we hear people reporting what God's doing around them. Because sometimes we hear these reports and all of a sudden God speaks to us. Oh, that is significant. It's not that the report was so important. It was just things that probably Nehemiah heard. But somehow God connects it all together. In Luke 19, 41, do you remember what happened? Not long before Jesus was going to die. 
He was along off and he saw the city of Jerusalem. And he sat down, began to weep, and weep and weep. Something gripped his soul. Something was so important to him. And he prayed. He cried out to God. We want to touch base with what God is doing. And it might be different than others. Don't be concerned. Just respond to God. Grieve as God grieves. This is something that he made us to do so that we become a vessel for those prayers. When we lift them up, all of a sudden God hears them and he begins to respond. So all this mourning, this fasting, this prayer, it all becomes something so significant. Be personally involved. You see, Nehemiah wasn't one of those, okay, I'll make some decisions and I'll just work that through. I think when we see it through Jesus' life, through our life, that the sense of professional that we often see in the Western world is something to be canned. It's not real in many cases. We need to let our lives be more transparent so we can be who we really are. And especially if you talk about clergy or something, I mean, you know, some are so professional. We're, we're told to be professional. Well, if, if you talk about excellence, that's fine. But in terms of excellence for anyone who's caring for people, you have to be intertwined. You have to take what you're hearing and cry for and bring your prayers to God. That's the way it works. Not just for clergy, but for all of us, the people of God. He's not just happy for us to come to church. Oh, I went to church. It becomes a relationship where God brings our lives into his presence. And we do it often by what touches and burdens our heart. Have you ever fasted and prayed as you sought for God's intervention? I mean, you really said, okay, uh, this is important. This burden's on my heart. I don't know how long it's going to be there. I'm going to stop eating. You dare you do that? Yeah, I'm going to stop eating. You say, I won't function anymore. That, that's okay. I think Jesus did it. Others did it. You can do it. You know, just try it. A 16-hour fast or something. And just say, God, this is more important than even Lulu's or some you know, Chinese restaurant. You know, something's more important. And you put that, make it a priority. Personal involvement is important. Now, just into your own relationship with God, notice that Nehemiah was connecting with the will of God. What burdened God, God was revealing to his heart. But that means that we need to listen to him and listen to what he wants to accomplish. I, I really appreciate just hearing how uh, you're trying to reach out to some um, black students there and just trying to be sensitive there what God wanted, even though that wasn't his focus. And I was saying, what are you doing? You know, you already have so much on your hands. But I, I think it's that sensitivity to what God's doing, even those resources, I'm sure they're, they're overwhelming, right? You know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. How is God ever going to do it? But that, that's the point. That's okay. Because if God's working, he will bring all the resources together, which we'll see down the line. But if at this point you respond in fear, oh, he won't do this, you know, then you're going to miss out. See, it's that relationship where you say, what does God want? And if he's doing this, then I will be there wherever he wants for my life. And what if God wants to use you in some special way? Can you say, all right? 
And in fact, I know it. If you're God's child, he wants to use you in some special way. And in fact, in many special ways. Just say yes. I don't know what that is. It's kind of scary. But that's okay. You know, maybe already you're thinking, well, my Bible reading's dull. But when you say you're open to God's will, then all of a sudden your Bible reading becomes alive and you say, oh, wow, you know, I need God to speak to me today. And then he will. He will. Secondly, because we hope, we worshipfully ask. We worshipfully ask. Let's listen to Nehemiah 1.5. And I said, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Would you say that Nehemiah knows God? Sure. You know, God's change agents know God. There's no doubt about it. If you think, well, I want to be a great Christian, but you don't get to read God's word. You don't really want to know him. You don't pray. You're going to miss out. Because he will use those people close to him. He's, not, he's going to bypass others that maybe they're very smart, but they don't know God. They don't obey him. They don't, they don't want, they're focused on their own life. Now, I, of course, Satan always will come by and say, I guess we can't do it. That feeling of despair. But my focus here is that, yes, the things that God brings before us often will be overwhelming. But it's because of who God is enables us to begin to focus on him and what he wants and then to his resources. When we focus on, wow, what God wants and then think about our resources, we're going to a different line here and we're going to find that we're separating ourselves from Nehemiah. His faith came from his knowing of God and what God wanted and how he accomplished it. But if you focus on your resources, you just won't be able to do it. Maybe you'll do it for a little bit. you got your money, you got your talent, but you won't do it his way. And you'll find after a while you're Peter out, the whole program will fall through. There's a way God does things, and it's highlighted by Nehemiah. Instead, we want to say and focus on, oh, God, you can do it. And this is what he says here. And I said, Nehemiah, I beseech thee. I pray to you, God. That's what beseech means. You might not know that word. Now, there's four ways, I think one, two, three, four ways he describes God here. First of all, O Lord, O Lord. This word, O Lord, actually is all capitalized. It stands for Yahweh. It stands for God's name. It's not any old God. It's Yahweh. He revealed his name back in Exodus 3.14. And he, Jesus and the Lord just revealed his name. This is who I am. I'm not just an impersonal God. This is my name. Now, Allah is just a term for God. It's not a personal name. But you see here, it's Yahweh. He reveals his name. What does it mean? All of a sudden, he says, I want to relate to you personally. You see that? Of course, God of heaven talks about God's awesome power. Anything that God wants in heaven, I mean, he, if he's a God of heaven, he can do anything he wants on earth because heaven is such a great place, glorious place, huge place compared to the small, little, tiny earth. He's great and awesome, God. He's able to do the miraculous. Think of the Red Sea, the crossing of the Red Sea. 
Think of the great miracles that have before us. It reminds us how God can intervene, how he desires to intervene in our lives and the people around us. And fourthly, God is one who preserves the covenant and loving kindness. We'll go on and discuss that a little bit more. But this is a covenant that God has bound himself to work with his people according to his word. In other words, God is so faithful that he keeps his word. And if he says something, it's important. He's loving kindness. He's so gracious that he would ever relate to us on those terms. See, our theology shapes our hope. What we know about God shapes how we hope, how we believe God's going to be working. Now, of course, our theology is sometimes not really what we believe. So a lot of people say, I know God, but if, if this God doesn't shape your life, then you say, no, you don't really know God. If you say he's a personal God, but you never treat him as a person, you don't really believe that. If you believe he's all-powerful, but you never, every time you run up to troubles, you're always worrying. Do you really believe he's all-powerful? No. no. Of course you don't. You're fooling yourself. See, doctrinally, sometimes we know these things, but it hasn't got down into our real belief, our mindset, our world perspective. But this is where he's trying to bring us. Even through these events, he's patient enough to work with us to grow us in our faith. And this is what happens. And this is what I believe with Nehemiah, that even though he saw maybe this great need of helping in Jerusalem and not knowing how to do it, because he was there serving the king, there's no way he could ever do anything. But he brought it to God and began to step back and say, God, you are this kind of God. And just as he began to do that, God began to bring more and more faith into his life. And that focus came about. Because we hope, we worshipfully ask God. Let me go on to the third point. Because we sinned, we humbly confess. Because we sinned, we humbly confess. This is Nehemiah 1, verses 6 to 7. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open to hear the prayer of thy servant, which I am praying before thee now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against thee and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the ordinances, which thou didst command thy servant Moses." Because we sinned, we humbly confess. Now this is the third point, the third kind of prayer that we need to have those prayers that change the world. Now, a question should be, is really our sin so bad? And also, is, does confession really make such a difference? Those are some underlying currents that we need to think about. First of all, we see that he asked God to hear his prayer. Nehemiah said, let thine ear be attentive. God, hear my words. You're so great, so mighty. But this is that personal touch now, where God says, I want to hear from individuals. Now, you might be a member at school, and they might just be interested in how much you're paying them, uh, or at work, how much you produce. But, you know, God's doing something different here. He, he's a God that gets involved in our lives. Let thine ear be attentive. 
Secondly, he told God he was not being selfish, but interceding on the behalf of others. This is really good, that we need to clarify our motives. Probably when he was praying, because sometimes this happens to me, I'm, I'm praying, and it's like the quiet words in my mind of saying, why are you praying that? Oh, you want people to look at you, you want to make money, you want to, uh, you know, just have everything go as you planned it. Is, is that why you wanted to get those prayers? Or is there something more deeply going on that you really care about the people that you're serving? Nehemiah 1.6, praying before thee now, Nehemiah was, day and night on behalf of the sons of Israel, the servants of God, thy servants. In other words, Nehemiah is saying, you know, God, I really want you to work in them. And, and he had to examine his motives because this has to get down with your real purpose. And it's really crucial that you go through this process, by the way. Because if in the end it's for you, then this is a washout scheme. You, know, you, you don't want any part of it. But if you really care about somebody, then you start praying that way. You say, Lord, I, I really want them. And even as you're saying it, you, you'll, you'll say, well, do you really? What about this? And at that point, if you just see yourself in there a little bit, you just say, well, I know there is that part of me. But Lord, I just want to reject that part. I really want you to just help these people. Even if I don't get anything out of it, I just want you to help these people. Focus on it. Don't let Satan distract you with your own motives, your own flesh that so entangles us. And, and Satan's right there to mess up our prayers even, and at that time to confuse our motives. Just, just understand it will come about because Satan wants to make it all a foul, be no good. Put it aside and just say, no, I really want this to be done. Because this is God's will being happened, God's heart that's being reflected in you, coming before him through prayer. Thirdly, he confessed the sins of God's people. He said, we have acted very corruptly against thee. This is verse 7. Now, corruptly, we must think that there's something really foul about the way they're worshiping God. They're really doing some things wrong. Now, again, this is back to the current. Are we really so bad? You know, are things so bad around here? Let me go on, and, and let's reflect a little bit on this. This whole sense of confession. He says, on behalf of the sons of Israel, thy servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against thee, I and my father's house have sinned. Now, there's two levels here that we want to focus on. First of all, he's focusing on the sins of Israel. He's focusing on the sins of Israel, and he includes we. That includes Nehemiah. Now, he just said in that prayer that he's righteously, walking righteously. He's one of those people praying and walking righteously before God. So we might think that right, Nehemiah, he, of course, he's not perfect as we're thinking. Right? Righteous means he's walking in agreement with God's word, caring for what God wants, walking in justice. But there's another aspect here. It's the Father's house. I and my Father's house have sinned. There's somehow that he sees that corruption in his own house, how he has failed in the past, maybe even at the current point. And so there's those two points of tension. You might wonder, what is this whole notion about corporate prayer? How can Nehemiah, if he's a righteous man, praying for Israel? Well, I want you to understand, this is actually what God wants us to do. There's that national identity where you can say, what countries are represented here? I mean, if we go by the flags, you know, I'm from this Thailand, I'm from America, I'm from Canada, I'm from Hong Kong, I'm from China, wherever you're from. You know, this is me, but I'm not just me. 
The Western world wants to break us apart just in, in fragments that don't connect. But no, this is not the way God made us. We are the son of someone else, son of someone else. And you know, we're from a family, we're part of a nation. We have our national identity and we are to pray for our nation. Do you pray for your nation? I, I just, I pray, but I don't pray enough. And I pray, but I don't pray weepingly enough. That's for sure. I mean, think about what kind of prayers does God want? We want to be grieving. We want to be in touch. But you say, well, every, every, everything's going okay here, isn't it? Do you think so? Would you say America, for example, if I just pick our nation, is it doing okay? You, did you dare vote? How many are saying yes? You can even vote if you're from another country. You're saying we're doing well. How many are saying we're doing poorly? A few hands. How many are saying we're doing awful? You see, things have changed in this nation. Not that at any point we all were devoted Christians. No. But from the time of the 60s when divorce came into being, do you know how much the whole world has changed? I mean, in terms of America, where it is just so common now. And all those children have grown up under divorces, have horrible homes, horrible marriages. And so now we come to a society, I don't want to get married. You know, so we just have all sorts of fornication. We have all sorts of adultery and divorce everywhere plaguing us. Remarriage, everywhere. We're just being bound down. And yet we think, well, my life, I'll get it better. I'll bet get better next time. But we don't realize how foul it is. How many husbands are involved in pornography? How many have fallen down and their faces in the mud? Yet they go to work and it, their, their marriage is a sham. Tell me if they love their wives. Of course not. Tell me where the solidity of the marriage is there, developing a, a wholesome family perspective in the children where they can trust their father and mother and obey their parents. We just don't have that. We have a lot of hate, a lot of bitterness, resentment. So people run off into drugs. They run off to all sorts of parties and, and, and things because they don't receive that love. This is our society. It's just fallen apart where it might not last much longer. No, I, I think we're at a point. It, it won't last much longer. Not even what we now know. Because what we're dropping in 10 years, 20 years, is, is severe. Yeah, it's, it's so true. When I was in school, you would have to go, you know, almost get threatened with not being able to come to school because you're chewing gum. You know, or you, things like this. These were the minor cases. Maybe you smoked in the restroom. Now, you go in the high schools and they have all these things with guards. You know, these, not only guards, you have metal detectors. Things have got so severely worse. These are not ways things should be or always have been. But because it's like a lobster in the can, you know, being cooked, he doesn't know it's getting worse. And so sometimes we think, well, you know, it's all right. Tomorrow I'll pray. Let me just say, there might not be a tomorrow. Now's the time to pray. It's the same for our church. Are we holding on to Jesus? 
Are we doing really so well? No, I don't think so. Not if you look at the church around. There are, wherever I go, nobody knows how to disciple people. Nobody cultivates relationships and helps people know how to take the next step. I don't know why. It's, it's like Jesus told us this in Matthew 20. I mean, this is one of the biggest, can't go and make disciples. I don't know how. Do you do it? No, I don't know how. And it's just like we're deadbeat. And here Christ is raising up his kingdom and I don't know. You know, let me watch TV instead. It's like we don't care. I don't care if I make disciples. I'd rather watch that program. I want that music program. I must download that game. And that's where our heart is. We don't have Christ on our heart. We don't have his mission seizing us. We're not crying. Because that's not where our vision is. There's something else there, you see. Idols of sorts, I suppose. Not because they're wrong, but because we're devoted to them. Do you confess your sins before God? Do you confess the sins of your nation, of your people, of your family, of your church, of your life? We have to reach that point. How does confession work? Confession is so easy. It's just say, Lord, we have failed you in so many ways with a sincere prayer confession. You can just change things. It's like God's not going to listen to your prayer. He's waiting until you change. And you say, well, I don't want to change that one thing. You see, that's what holds back your life. And as long as you won't, you won't have those prayers that change the world. It just won't. Can you just say, Lord, okay, you take that. I just want there to be before you. Verses 8 to 11. Because we believe, we persistently intercede. Verses 8 to 11 in Nehemiah. Because we believe, we persistently intercede. This is a fourth characteristic of a prayer that changes the world. Remember the word which thou didst command thy servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, and I will scatter you among the peoples, but if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though those of you who have been scattered were in the most remote part of the heavens, I will gather them from there and will bring them to the place where I've chosen to cause my name to dwell. Verse 10. And they are thy servants and thy people whom thou didst redeem by thy great power and by thy strong hand. O Lord, I beseech thee, may thine ear be attentive to the prayer of thy servant and the prayer of thy servants who delight to revere thy name and make thy servants successful today and grant him compassion before this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. Now do you see how this carries forth that sense of prayer of bringing God together with the need on earth, his will, saying, God, this is your will. When we begin to believe what God's will is, what he wants, then we begin to bring those prayers and asking for what his, he wants. That's where the faith combines. Let's just look a little bit more carefully. First of all, Nehemiah is insistent. Remember the word. Remember the word. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about something that happened many years ago in, in prayer, but he was just binding God according to his faithfulness. God, is this what you're like? All right, I'm going to test you. Now you say, well, that sounds rather rude. Yeah, it, it, it kind of does. But let me just say, from looking at the Old Testament, this is what God wants. And I think the reason is because it displays faith. Because if you really believe God is faithful, then you know anything he said, he's going to carry it out. 
And when you say, all right, I'm going to see whether you're faithful, he likes that. It's like a challenge because you really believe he's faithful and you're holding him. You're talking to him as if he is that way and you're kind of demanding that he's that way and you want to see it. He'll show you. He really, that's where he's at. You, can, you study the life of Moses. You, it's just so evident. It's like God's just waiting for Moses to say such a thing, to challenge him in such a way. That's an insistence that comes from faith. Nehemiah's confidence, which thou just command thy servant Moses. This is verse 8. You know, I believe it because you commanded Moses. Now, what is he talking about? I want to just expand what he's talking about here. Here's Nehemiah, probably, uh, let's see, uh, didn't look, I, I should have checked my dates, uh, 400 and something A.D. Now, he's talking about Moses, which is, let's see, Abraham, 1500 B.C., no, 2000 B.C., uh, Moses, about 1500 B.C. So we're to take, let's say, generally one millennium years apart, a thousand years distance between what Moses said and what Nehemiah's time. Now, this is where Nehemiah is going back a thousand years in time. I remember what you said to Moses. <laughs> Let's look at that, okay? From Leviticus, from the law, the Torah, chapter 6, verses 38 to 42. He says, but you will perish. And this is God speaking. But you will perish among the nations, and your enemy's land will consume you. So those of you who may be left will rot away because of their iniquity in the lands of your enemies, and also because of the iniquities of their forefathers. They will rot away with them. This is God speaking about his people when they disobey him. Verse 40, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers in their unfaithfulness which they committed against me and also in their acting with hostility against me, then, verse 42, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember also my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham as well and I will remember the lamb. In other words, I will restore things. So there's a rejection here we see. God is going to reject his people when they sin. Things are not going your way, always think, hmm, maybe I'm doing something wrong. I, I mean, I just went through, I don't know how many car repairs and how many things going wrong. So I had to step back and say, all right, God, is there something that you are not pleased with in my life? Now, it might not be because I did anything wrong. I don't think so this time. But we, we need to step back. If things aren't really going well, we need to step back and see, maybe God is trying to get my attention. Maybe God's... Judgment is upon my life for some reason because I'm not obeying him. There's that sense of confession. Solutions are not difficult, only humbling. You see, Nehemiah didn't have to do much. In a simple prayer, praying about confessing those sins, you could see that God was going to, behind the scenes, was already beginning to do many powerful and mighty things through his sovereign work. We'll already begin to see that in the next message. So confession is not like it's hard, it needs a lot of money. No. God is waiting for our return, and that's about it. Because God, again, wants to work through our lives, and he will wait, even if we fall into deteriorate, into despicable situations, he's just waiting, all right, how long will it take you? How long will it take you? You see, we can change things. We need to pray and ask God to work in. So this is Nehemiah working, he's praying, had his insistent prayer, he has a confidence prayer because he's going back to Moses, back to what God said. This is what he'll do. And now he's saying, though those you have been scattered, though you have been scattered, the most part of the heavens, I'll gather them. And he's saying, God, this is what's happening. We are confessing our sins. Now's the time. And basically, this is 
proof that God lives. This is how God looks at it. My word is true. What I spoke back there is so true. And when you see the book of Nehemiah, you're going to see it unfold how God does something so special and powerful. And he's going to bring the secular forces together with the religious forces. He's going to face all the enemies and all so many challenging messages ahead. But, you know, we're going to see how he does it. And he's going to allow all these ugly things to surface. But he's going to do it. He's going to do it. What kind of prayers are needed to change the world? Well, because we grieve, we mournfully pray. Because we hope, we worshipfully ask. It's, it's, it's a prayer that's built from faith of who God is. Because we sin, we will humbly confess. Because we believe, we persistently intercede. It's going to keep going on until I see what God gives me. So what about your life? What needs to happen in your life to change things? That you begin to be willing to be that conduit of God's glorious power and prayer force. Do you want to bear more fruit? Do you want God to work through your life? Say yes. Okay, say yes. I know, I didn't show you the next point, but say yes. And, uh, but you know, it, it sounds so good. Oh yeah, if God could just produce through my life many new believers and disciples, I would love that, Lord. Would you not give that to me? Can you not cry off at something like that? What will it take? Let me just give you a slice of our, my own, our own life uh, when we, God said, I want to start a church. Okay, I want to start a church in Taiwan, okay, at a place, you know, far away. What did God do? Well, you know, it, it's funny because I, I sensed that God really wanted to start a church. And then I said, okay, if this is what you want, let's do it. But beyond all the surface things that happen, and it's just many wonderful things, but I was taking a course on church planning at a seminary where King and Ling are there studying. And it, it was, happened to be on planning a church in suburbia, America. So nothing to do with the big city, industrial city of where I was in Hong Swang, okay? And uh, it was, it was, it was, there it is, on Phoenix Mountain. No, there's no mountain there. It's just flat ground there. <laughs> but I, I was going to take a course, but, you know, through that course, God had me do this. He said, plan out what would happen in the next year or two, what you wanted. I said, oh, okay, that sounds fun. I, I, lo I love to get in strategy, planning, okay? So, all right, so I did that. In fact, I planned two. This is what I like the most. This is what, okay, this is all right. And, and so I wrote that up. But that became my prayer. That became my prayer. And so I prayed it into existence. And it's why. Now, first of all, this was God working through me, okay? And I grew up in, with Everglades and alligators and all that. So how is he going to use me? Did I ever learn another language when I was young and multi-ethic and rich? No, I had very opposite. My family was broken and impoverished. We had very little education. But God was doing something through this no, no person because I was a child of God, just because I was willing. We had tests. We had tests. I still remember them. I'm sure my wife, Linda, remembers them. But because we prayed, because we persistently prayed, these things happened. This was our living room. Every, and that's Christy, if you see her there, that little girl. Just before we moved in there, that place was covered with red incense all over the walls, the ceiling, all red from incense to ancestor worship. And I said, this doesn't look like a place we want to live. But, but, look what it began. 
became. It became the Ujjah Gospel Garden. And people became to know the Lord just in four months. These people came to know Jesus Christ. This is where I was first challenged with, what are you going to do with them now that they believe? I didn't know about discipleship before. But I was going around the perimeter every day praying, riding my bicycle, 30,000 people, one church, but that church wasn't reaching out. A new community, 30,000 people. They needed a church. What does God want to do through your life? They might not start a church, but what does he want to do? That's what he wants to talk to you about. Will you talk to him about that? Ask God to see what he sees. You see, what Nehemiah saw then about Jerusalem was exactly what God saw. And God just opened his eyes and said, oh, that's what God thinks about this. What are we going to do, Lord? You see, it all of a sudden becomes a team partnership. And then you pray. Ask God to open your eyes to see what he sees. You'd be involved in confessing the sin around you. You're a student? Well, pray. I mean, why do we have to have more than 50% of the people on drugs and alcohol at the universities? Isn't it a shame all those parties are going on? You can weep. God, why am I part of a university like this? We are sinful. We have gone against your ways. You talk about them. They'll boast about them. Hey, look how many kegs we just went through. I remember people throwing up all over my dorm floor. <laughs> Be willing to participate where needed. He might just want your prayers. But don't underestimate those prayers because that is what's going to change the world. That provides the base. If you want to know why, I just try to get people to pray for us when I go to Burma or India, wherever I go. Why? Because it's your prayers that is the foundation. Not me. These people where I go, they are praying and fasting. That's what makes the difference. I know. I feel so worn out. Almost drugged at times. No, I'm not taking drugs. But I, I, just, I just, just feel so weak. But it's the prayer, you see. It's the Spirit of God helping them and working in ways that you never, never could understand. God wants to use your prayers. Prayers that change the world. Let's close in prayer. Father, we want to thank you so much for your amazing way of working through our lives, wanting to work through our lives, waiting until we are ready. Lord, sometimes while we're waiting, people are dying. People are acting so foolishly. Marriages are falling apart. Children are being destroyed. Oh Lord, our universities could be so awesome if they turned to Jesus. They dedicated their minds and skills and time to you. Our workplaces could be places where Jesus could be glorified. Our family is a place, Lord, where your love would ever be so evident. Lord, we confess, Lord, that we are far from here. But would you please help us to see what you see and pray according to the burden on our hearts. Please help us. Please save us, lest we perish with the world around us. In Christ we pray.
This concludes a message, Prayers That Change the World, Nehemiah 1, 4-11 by Paul Bucknell. Produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Releasing God's truth to a new generation.